This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. And with Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping and gives you personalized insights for your best sleep. Stick around. (laughs) You stick around. Later in the episode to hear a special segment from us and Sleep Number. Bye. Everybody loves a lover. I'm a lover. Everybody loves me. Anyhow, that's Hello and welcome to yet another gripping installment of the world's number one most beloved podcast, In Bed with Nick and Megan, starring the one and only Nick Offerman, otherwise known as the greatest, (laughs) Um, with Megan Mullally and, (laughs) I got demoted again, and... Stephanie Hunt as the sidekick. So I got the with credit and you got the and as. Nice. Mm. It seems right. Um, Today we will be talking about spirituality. Mm. What? Whoa. Groovy. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with religion, although religion will rear its ugly head, I'm sure. There are, from reading I've done, there are people who have managed to travel through religion to a place of spirituality. Mm. There's like seven of them, historically. (laughs) You read about them? Mm -hmm. So let me just uh, paint a beautiful picture here by saying that of the three of us on the bed, Stephanie and I are the most drawn to uh, things outside of I'm, uh, let's say metaphysics yeah is that a, w- a good way of saying that's it? nice stephanie and i are no stranger to a deck of tarot cards uh for example and a crystal in your pocket and a crystal yeah a few crystals around your neck one in your pocket a few in your sock i keep a few always in my sock <laughs> yeah <laughs> nick painful. on the other hand uh does not need tarot cards or crystals or astrology or anything else like that because he is not questioning who he is or why he's on the planet, whereas Stephanie and I kind of are. Mm-hmm. Nick is very secure within himself and has no, for the most part, I mean, nobody's sure. perfect, but you don't, you're not a seeker. You have no interest in those kinds of things. You don't want to... Like if I said, hey, Nick, I'm going to a, you know, tarot card reading convention tonight. I'm not. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. And (laughs) just in case, like, let's say, like, just in case something drastic changes Mm -hmm. and I am going to that. Let's say, will you, do you want to come with me? And he'd say no. Or if if a tarot, if I was best friends with a tarot card reader and she was coming over, I'd say she'll read your tarot cards for free. And he'd say, I'm not interested. No, thank you. Yeah. Tell us more about what it's like to be that kind of person. Well, uh, I I was raised in the Catholic Church, so there was a real dogma surrounding all the supposed spirituality that I 
was supposed to be receiving as a kid that never seemed to register, you know? And I, I noticed uh, rather than any sort of holiness or um, the existence of any power above humanity, in, sitting in the church was the last place. Like, instead of anything like that, what I noticed was a lot of people, like, bored, sort of going through the motions of being engaged in this religion. And so I said, mm, I don't, like, I hear what you're saying, which is, like, we're supposed to exalt the sense of God and, you know, this almighty power and all these mysteries, but no one's actions in this community seem to be mirroring that. So I don't think I'm going to find my answers here in this organized religion. Uh, and I, I'm not sure why. I mean, the ingredients I was given by Mother Nature and by my family, um, I think it has a lot to do with work ethic and just a sense of decency of trying to consider everybody the same, you know, treat everybody the same no matter what. Uh, led but me to a life how did you get so well adjusted uh, that I think it's inborn I think yeah I mean I don't know if it's mm. something that can be taught although my mom and dad are both very good at keeping their cool like they have really steady dispositions so I definitely was trained I think by them to not get stressed out to, to, to be a practical person a problem solver and to know that whatever shit goes down, whatever may befall us, I can take a swing at handling it. So, so nothing to worry about. You really see the world in a, a more in a more simple. You're not. I'm not saying you're simple, but you see things in a more simple. in a simpler way. Because I remember when we first got together, I there were a couple of times where I accused you of some very convoluted something that I understood because I grew up with, you know, crazy people. But I remember you saying, what are you talking about? I, I don't, I literally don't even know what you're talking about. My mind doesn't work that way. And I completely believed you and I still believe you because I don't think your mind does work that way. I think sometimes you have insidious thoughts and, you know, you can come up with a revenge fantasy better than anyone I know, but that's a little bit different. Uh, sure. I mean... But in terms of, of neurotic, dysfunctional ways of thinking, you don't even understand it. I mean, you can understand it if somebody says, hey, this is what happened, so-and-so did this, and this was fucked up, but you don't think that way. And so when I accused you of that, you were like, I absolutely have no... Uh, that's not possible for me to have had those motives. I'm, I'm grateful that I have seemingly the ability to, um, to not worry about stuff. Like if, you know, in our business, it's very easy to be neurotic and wonder about things. Will I get a, an acting job? Why didn't I get that acting job? Does anybody like me? Am I cute? You know, th there's a million things that you can drive yourself crazy worrying about, like, why am I not... Um, why do I not have the things that I don't have? But instead, for whatever reason, my makeup taught me to focus on the things that I have and ignore the rest of the voices. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I've got this set of tools. Somebody hired me as a carpenter, so I'm all set. 
Well, it's it's a, it gets a little complicated right now because not everybody pursues a spiritual life or is drawn to spirituality because of a lack. So let me just make that clear. Like not everybody is going to be seeking uh, that those kinds of answers because they uh, are worried about why they're not getting auditions. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was just trying to use an example that you just laid out. But um, some people are, are organically drawn to those kinds of things. I mean, I know I was from a really, really early age, and I, I know you were too, Stephanie. But some people are. Some people think, well, something is wrong with me, or I'm, and I have, you know, there's a lack here or there in my life, so I'm going to try to fill it with spirituality or religion. And or, oh, well, I think it's kind of one or the other. People are either drawn to organized religions. I think a lot of that is how they grew up and how they were all acculturated. And some people are drawn to more uh, esoteric things like metaphysics. So anyway, um, Stephanie, how, what is your experience with, I know you grew up with, you actually lived on an ashram for part of your childhood. <laughs> well, my parents met in an ashram and so they had, both renounced um, religion. They both came from very dogmatic childhoods. My dad grew up Catholic and my mom was raised where her father was a priest that actually was a founder of a religion that he was like a mystic um, in Puerto Rico and a visionary dude who had Your a lot of followers. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And so he started a church in New York, and so my mom was raised thinking if she went to any other church or didn't pray on Saturday and Sunday, then she would be stricken down by God and all these things. Mm. Um, but they both found a guru, Swami Satchidananda, through different modes. My dad through music, because um, he was a touring musician, and my mom through a friend. And it was the first wave of, you know, the the yoga and the the super, super hippie shit. And um, <laughs> their guru actually opened up Woodstock, so he was kind of known as like the guru of musicians. Um, it was Carol King's guru and blah, blah, blah. And his whole thinking and message was truth is one, paths are many. So all religions have an integral part of them, which is why his teachings are called integral yoga. And so there's a truth in all religions, um, but there's the differences are you don't have to focus on all the, the teachings. And so he said that his um, principle was the undo, instead of being a Hindu, is the undo of all religions, just to look for truth. So that was definitely a a present-minded um, implementation that my parents had in bringing us all up. They didn't want us to feel like we had to be a part of any religion, but they would do things like if we had a stomach ache or a headache, they'd lead us through yoga poses and breath poses and like breath exercises. Um, but it wasn't in this now how it's kind of like a trendy thing, you know, because mm. uh, this wasn't even really a thing at that point when I was a kid. Um, so it's been interesting to see how things that were just part of my household are now kind of 
kitschy or trendy. And um, they used to teach yoga classes for free. And that left me with good footing to look at the world from a space that wasn't, um, it was just comfortable, you know, secure. They always allowed me to seek and find whatever I wanted. At first, I would do things like yell at my mom when she was meditating when I was a kid. I'd be like, <laughs> why? I would clap in her face, be like, you're not here. What is going on? Because I would be like, take me to the mall. <laughs> I'm a 13-year-old, and this is boring. Um, and her ability to just have patience with that and not judge me or react and just hold space was a good teaching in what that looks like, just uh, being non-reactive. And she would say things like, wow, my heart is so open right now. This is very interesting to hear you saying this. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. <laughs> I'd be like, what does that mean? <laughs> and she would ask me questions uh, on the way to dropping me off in middle school. Like, have you ever felt the feeling of uh, an expansion in your chest? Like there's space for something else new to come. I'd be like, no. <laughs> I would like to listen to the Backstreet Boys now. Um, <laughs> so that is, and and I, I ended up finding it on my own in Los Angeles through all of the kind of ups and downs of acting or career stuff or disappointments or just growing up in general. Um, realizing the power of the breath and chanting. And I, I don't have a rigorous practice of any sort, but I've tried all the things. And I have a sense of not really wanting... I, I have the reverence for gurus and teachers because I know that that's important to learn from people. But also I saw in... You know, every ashram has a scandal attached to it or the darkness. And, and any time that you're going to call somebody perfect and that they're your teacher and that you're bowing to them, um, you may forget that they're human. And so, and you're a human too. So I always grew up thinking, even though I can have reverence for teachers, I, I have a challenging uh, like I will always challenge a teacher, and if they can't see that I'm learning and could be as good or better than them, or am empowered enough to take the teachings on, actually, rather than um, like always keeping you the student, mm -hmm. um, which is with acting teachers too. There's like a weird thing, or. Anybody you meet really could happen, but it happens a lot in like spiritual communities. I have a good bullshit radar, but I'm willing to jump in very deep to those waters because I kind of have seen a lot of weird hippie things to be able to wade through those waters. Mm -hmm. 
And it's usually coming from a really positive place, so you don't have to have as much trepidation. You say, well, I can explore this, and if it's not for me, then I'll move on to the next thing. But when did you make the change from, you know, you know, Mom, I want to go to the mall, to having your own, you know, being drawn to those things yourself? Um, well, it was, it was about when I was in college living on my own and I, I, well, I had my best friend die in a car accident and that was so painful. And also, um, she was, she was a very spiritual person. She was my in my mom's class when she was two years old. And when she was, um, like three, because my mom's a teacher, and um, when she was three, she would say that she could see her grandfather and that she wanted to go be with her grandfather. And so she always had this, Helena was her name, she always had this ability to connect with multiple realms. And so her passing actually ignited within my whole friend group. All of us kind of changed our paths all of a sudden and realized it was almost like a part of her had to live on within all of us. And I started um, just almost um, out of necessity doing breathing exercises in this way. Because it's always about your own experience with it. So if you haven't felt that, oh, my breath is controlling my mind, then nobody can really, you can tell somebody that. But if, unless you have it out that, that you feel, oh my gosh, this is what's allowing me to expand myself right now. Um, but that was a big catalyst and set me, I mean, I dropped out of college. I just realized that I had to do exactly what I wanted in my life. And then it became more of a co-creating my reality with um, the universe for myself and using my own mental abilities to do that. I just need to back up a minute because it's news to me that your breath is controlling your mind. Mm. Is that true? It's true. So it's how are you supposed to breathe to have a good mind? <laughs> well, I don't know if supposed to is a good word because um, it's, it's that all meditation can begins with the breath. It's the easiest way into meditation. Because, um, you know, like when people are scared or worked up, your breathing is off. But if mm -hmm. you just focus on your breath in that moment, you can feel it the strongest because... Um, That's mindful, part of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like the, the gateway drug for mindfulness. Yeah, it's like, breath. you know, the, the ideal is to be in the moment, not be living in the past or the future in your waking life. And so one of the easiest ways to... to put yourself in the moment is to pay attention to your breathing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the, how it feels coming in your mouth, in your nose, um, coming out of your mouth. There's all different practices you can do. And like you can hold for two at the top. You can count. Um, but just to keep a focus on that is good. I do. I, I count sometimes because I meditate in the morning and at night. But... Um, yeah, I mean, and I've just started doing that again 
I started meditating in the mornings maybe a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. And then the night has just come in recently. But I used to do it for a long time. And then when I met Nick, um, I stopped because I, I think I was embarrassed or I, you know, we were in a big, you know, brand new falling in love moment. And uh, I just, I don't know, I, I, I think I felt self-conscious or felt like, oh, I don't want him to think I'm something. I don't, I'm not even sure. So I stopped for a long time, and I'm. It's. It does. It makes a huge difference. You didn't want me to think you were centered. <laughs> you think I was well adjusted and had healthy practices. <laughs> Anything but that. But you know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it. It's funny what. It, even if you just do it for five minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to sit there for an hour. I mean, I guess twenty minutes is the ideal. Uh, for you know, for most people, mm-hmm. morning and night. But even if it's, I think that that's that's a trap though, because people are like, I don't have twenty minutes, or I can't sit still for twenty minutes. Sit there for one minute. Mm-hmm. Sit there for thirty seconds. Even just one conscious breath a day. One is breath. Pretty good. Yeah, just start wherever you can. When you're, you know, in the doing anything, just center in on your breathing so that you can put yourself in the current, in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really big on just a little bit of anything. If it feels like too much, just um, one time they told us, middle school, it always stuck with me, that if you don't turn in your homework, you get a zero, and that's really bad for your average. But if you turn in, you only answered one question on your homework, 10 is better than a zero. I was like, <laughs> great. <laughs> I'll turn in. I put my name on it. I'm turning it in. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and I, uh, my mom was a pretty devout Catholic, and so I went to church every Sunday for a little while, and Sunday school, and then when I was nine, I remember getting in the car after Sunday school, and my mom said, how was it? And I said, it was fine, but I won't be going back. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for these, you know, two years of this, but this is not for me. And to my mom's credit, she didn't, I mean, my my mom could really get me to do things I didn't want to do. Like when I was a debutante and I didn't want to be a debutante, but I did it for my mom because mm-hmm. I knew that she really wanted it. But this, she didn't push me on this. And I thought that was pretty cool. She did have a nun come over, two nuns, excuse me, come over um, and do some kind of, you know, hocus pocus on me so that I would be fine for life. And they gave me a little, I have it, it's in the bath, it's right there, it's in our bathroom, gave me a little um, virgin, picture of a Virgin Mary in a little crocheted, um, it was little, it was like three inches tall. And inside of it is a, a foil wrapped, a teeny, like eighth and an inch square foil wrapped thing that's supposed to be a piece of the Shroud of Turin. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Because, wow. you know, we it should was have a, that in yeah, the we should box. ensure that because mm-hmm. I'm sure it really is a piece of the Shroud of Turin. And that was the thing that I, I think is responsible for my still being alive today. 
So uh, <laughs> at least my mom, and in, in, you know, as far as my mom is concerned, <laughs> that that was the thing that has kept me from, you know, almost certain disaster had I not had it. But then I was always, I, I would say, even way earlier than that, when I was, when we lived in Costa Mesa still, so I had to have been four or five, um, I was already into, by way of elves and fairies, mm. I was into the, the spiritual or the metaphysics because I believed in elves and fairies and those are like, that's like believing in little spirits. Mm -hmm. um, there's something extra sensory about it. So that's that was my, my gateway with, were the elves and fairies. I love that. Mm -hmm. I, I, your story of the Shroud of Turin, which I'm sure Indiana Jones is probably going to break into our house now probably. at some point. Or retrieve that It's in the scrap. bathroom, Indiana. Oh gosh, you better run, the run and grab it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I heard a, an Episcopal priest interviewed recently, and he was really wonderful in the way he talked about how um, all religious writings of, of the big, you know, uh, organized religions are of clearly, uh, from a point of logic, not to be taken as literal. You know, they're they're not neither documentary journalism nor are you know they're obviously allegorical and and meant to be taken as uh, sort of moral tales, you know, and so. That's wonderful. If you can if you can take literalism out of it, mm. th that solves so many problems. Where it's like, well, no, of course, like gay people are okay, regardless of what you say the Bible says, because what what it comes down to is how Jesus taught us to live, which is to love everybody, including those pesky gay people. Like, of course, Christianity should be about inclusion in every way. And he said, you know, across the board. So the interviewer said, well, so what, you know, then what is, the, what's it all about? What is your faith about um, if you, if you don't believe the actual, you know, writing factually? And he said, it's all about, the whole point of it is to live a life of service, to read these lessons and understand that giving of yourself to others is, that is God. And like, making a commitment that I'm going to do my best to live my life in this way, that it, that those are the values that these religions are built upon, and anything else that's ugly has been added by people, naturally. Um, a lot of religion becomes a money-making, you know, enterprise. But I, I just always think of my mom and dad, who are very devout Catholics, and our... our household growing up, there's very little uh, of that sort of superstition of um, iconography and like, you know, is there a certain saint that you're supposed to pray to or any of that stuff. None of that matters nearly as much as more than anyone else I know, those, my mom and dad have devoted themselves to lives of service mm -hmm. where everything they do, they're very happy. They take good care of themselves. They have worked really hard to maintain a life where even now, you know, in their 70s, they're still doing Meals on Wheels. There's, you know what I mean? They're still giving of themselves. And 
to me that I'm very grateful for their example because that human service that they've shown me goes so much farther than anything I could read. You know, then I don't have the wherewithal to like read a chapter of the Bible and be like, ah, this will solve some problem in my life. But if I watch people just take care of other people, I say, oh, that seems to be working for them. Mm-hmm. I try that. Yeah, and I'm, um, since you said that that's, you know, they've dedicated their lives to service, I mean, it can take a lot of forms. Nick and I have had that conversation many times that, because when we found ourselves so busy with work, like we're just constantly working and we don't really ever have time off. We don't, we haven't had an actual vacation in probably two years at least. No, wait, more than that. Because our, because Michael Landry said that since he's been working with us, we hadn't taken an actual vacation. That's been almost three years and that's okay. Um, but what we've talked about is that our, you know, being in whatever business we're in, in the entertainment industry, whatever you want to call it, it's a service industry. I mean, that's where people go get in trouble is when they think that it's about them and their own glory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not about your own self-aggrandizement. That's the that's when you're off the path and you're going to crash and burn is when your ego is involved and you're thinking, well, everybody's going to see how great I am now. It's That's not it. You're not great. And if you have talent and you're sharing it, that's that's a that's wonderful. And it should be that for its own sake. Like you are providing a service to people by hopefully successfully entertaining them in whatever way, whether you're writing a book or you're, you know, a stand up or whatever medium it is. I mean, in any profession, um, I think people make a mistake with, with people who are performers or artists because they think, well, that person just wants to be famous. No. I mean, some people do want to be famous, just want to be famous. That's true. But most people, at least people that we know and people we've worked with don't, that's not what it's about for them. It's about expressing them creatively, expressing themselves creatively in a way that they're able to be of benefit to others who are on the receiving end of whatever their talent is. And I think that's what it's all about. And, and so then it can be, you know, it, it is a, in a way, well, it's a service and it can almost become a spiritual practice if you're looking at it from that vantage point. Well put. Very Thanks. well put. Ooh. I love that. Have you Finally considered starting a cult? <laughs> so I'd like to <laughs> announce that I am starting a cult called Jonesburg. Stephanie, is it safe to say that you believe in reincarnation? Mm hmm. Yeah, I do too. But, Nick, Mm. what do you think happens? Wow. My heart is so open right now. <laughs> um, we just want to go to the mall. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess um, 
I'm comfortable with the not knowing. I can't get into any conversation about spirituality without bringing up my favorite writer, Wendell Berry. And in his writings, I feel like he's chasing what I believe is the nearest thing to my spirituality, which is nature-based, you know, um, it's, it's the mysticism that is all around us, you know. And, and does that include, you know, all things are connected? Yeah, mm -hmm. we're all, I mean, the, all of creation is made up of the same molecules. So, you know, um, and, and it's so mysterious um, and so far beyond our comprehension that the human mind can, will never truly be able to answer all questions posed by nature. That's, mm -hmm. that's the mystery that I can wrap my head around and say, great, then... Um, we can never know everything. What I can know are these practical truths by which I'll try and live my life. And so something like reincarnation, um, if, uh, if the soul, um, if, if when, our, when our physical body dies and those molecules decay and become, you know, they come grow back into the soil and are part of the great cycle, if when that happens, somehow our consciousness or our soul uh, continues to exist into another plane, into another human in a, in a different time and place, or becomes a tree or a squirrel or, or you know, uh, a gallon of ocean water or whatever it may be, I'd say, cool, that sounds awesome. I, like, I... And if it if it can if it retains any sort of consciousness, great. But it's something I don't think I'll ever know until I become that gallon of water, uh, and I'm I'm down with that. So I don't disbelieve it, or I just I I'm just comfortable uh, with the idea that I can't know that. I was going to boil you down tonight. If if before you do, I will shake your hand and say thank you for nineteen amazing years and change. Really, I mean seriously, thank you it's for everything. It's valuable. It's You're been welcome. It's been the greatest time of my life. And frankly, well, seriously, it was, it was my pleasure. It was wor It will have been worth it. It was nothing. So I've been leading up to this. And then what will, what will you do with me? You. Well, I want to see you as a gallon of ocean water, so I'm going to put some salt in and call it a day. So we can stay friends? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but it is interesting when you're talking about spiritual things, how fast time passes. You don't, it's one of the areas where I don't realize the passage of time, and that tells me that it's an important thing to have a focus on because there really aren't that many pursuits or topics. I would say talking about spiritual or metaphysical things. Um, when Stephanie and I are working together, we're coming up with choreography, we're singing. Um, we never realize the passage of time, you know, things like that, you know, pure creativity, higher thought. That's when those, that's when that state is achieved. It doesn't happen that many other times. Maybe if you're witnessing a great work of art, if you're at a 
in a brilliant piece of live theater or you're watching an incredible movie, it might happen. But, you know, what else is when there? When you're dreaming. When you're dreaming, yeah, when notice. you're asleep. Uh, the big O. Oh, yeah. And when you're laughing. Mm -hmm. um, a spiritual teacher that I... Just got that yeah. big O. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about sex, yeah. orgasms. Um, <laughs> Kiss anybody you were talking wasn't about clear. Oprah for a second. Oh, Oprah. Yeah, well, that's true, too. When Oprah is speaking, <laughs> <laughs> it's really like, true. That's a strange did mean, thing. Did you mean blowing your load or... No, hey, come Oprah on. Winfrey. No, pull it back in. <laughs> but I had a, a, I would call this a spiritual teacher once who said, uh, when you're laughing, where are your problems? Mm. And that is so mm. true. That's good. Yeah, I feel like laughter is an evolution of thought that it just comes to like a head and explodes because some epiphany is revealed that it's not what you thought it was. Yeah. Which is why it's so fun. Yeah. It, uh, and, I feel and it's it reinvents kind of, your way of thinking too. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it's sort of the um, the uh, pressure valve on the, the pot boiler of life that like when things get too much you laugh mm. to release the pressure so that you don't kill somebody or you know you know when think when things are bleak and you you say well it's nothing to do but laugh at this it's because if you don't laugh you're gonna go out back and and put a shotgun in your mouth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Stephanie, how did you come around to the idea of reincarnation? I think that I came around to reincarnation sort of intrinsically through my upbringing. It wasn't ever out of the question or yeah, right. denied as a possible reasoning of reality. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was all it's all really connected to my friend when she passed away, Helena, because. Um, I had a lot of dreams where she came to me and explained exactly where she was and where she was going and what she was doing and that she was never dead. Um, mm. But they weren't the kind of dreams that looked like a dream. You know, when you have a technicolor dream, it, like it, the kind that you don't feel like you could invent yourself. It doesn't feel like your dream and you wake up and it feels more like a message than a dream i've only had a handful of those but most of them were with her and it was in the stage of like the deep questioning and um so that was and there were a lot of things that happened where there was a picture on her dashboard that my mom came across on the street so it like, she was sending messages mm -hmm. um, in all sorts of ways. And basically everybody in our friend group was getting them. Weird things were a necklace she had given you would be wrapped around your um, rear view window in the car. Rear view mirror. Your rear view mirror, yeah. I was thinking rear window. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Who isn't? <laughs> Suspense. Next thing you have a different version of rear window. It's a porno. <laughs> You can read his mind? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I read his mind. Mm. Um, 
I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, it's in, you know, it's interesting because I, I didn't grow, I grew up somewhere between both of you guys, not in an ashram and not on a farm with down-home parents. So I grew up with, you know, a pretty volatile home life, uh, especially on the part of my father, um, an only child. And uh, so it's somewhere in between both of your experiences. But yeah, I think uh, to me, things like reincarnation, uh, just it just felt right to me. Like I felt like, oh, that explains everything. That makes sense to me. I can think of how, you know, understanding what that was and what it meant. I was like, oh, all these loose ends are kind of coming together for me right now when I'm hearing about this. And so I thought, well, I guess that's for me. And of course we don't know and we can't know what happens after we die. But that's the thing that resonates with me and that I have gravitated toward. Doesn't, it's not for everybody. And, uh, but I, like, I love what, I love what you said and I love what Nick said. What I, what I sometimes, I, if I was going to be judgmental about what people think happens after death, I would have to say, when people say it all just goes black. That's what my father thought. Only because I feel like that's so sad mm -hmm. that you think that. Like, you don't feel any connection to life or, the spirit that that things are eternal or things continue that you just, just think it stops yeah just be open to you know possibility don't what's well, it better it, it seems a little more fun don't be so anyway. negative yeah. As we don't know mm -hmm. and we can't know like i said I don't so want why to not pick something fun <laughs> um you i also like very much what you said and you you have brought to mind with apologies, more Wendell Berry, which he writes very beautifully about his version of reincarnation involves the oral tradition in the generations of his family that the things that we choose to teach our children and pass along through the lineage of birth and death, that is the way we are reincarnated. And so my you know, the things my dad's father taught him uh, across the board, how, how to use a shovel, how to carry a handkerchief, how to have good manners, how to balance your checkbook, all of those things, inclu and including his personality, like how he slams down the winning card in a card game, or, you know, uh, how he loves to slurp the end of his drink through the ice cubes. <laughs> All of those things remain, and and we remember them, and they become part of us, and that is a that's an act, sort of actual reincarnation that allow us to remain living as long as the remembrance and the um, the sort of residual features, the the residual characteristics, mm -hmm. stay with us. And so, my grandfather is reincarnated mm -hmm. in me and my siblings and so and so forth and that you know and and then and that becomes me and then i pass that on to our pets i guess to our dogs <laughs> and then uh, you know yeah and uh i mean I, that's really that's lovely and um also i was just thinking about something that's on a slightly different plane under the category of um, it takes all kinds. I would say that people who 
pe- people who are drawn to organized religions and people who uh, are drawn to the most airy fairy aspects of metaphysics and everyone in between, they're, they're all types within that category. So they're people who are de- devoted uh, Presbyterians mm. or you know any, any organized religion uh, who are really doing it right. <laughs> and then there are people who are drastically off course. Right. And the same with metaphysics. I mean, actually, I mean, it does attract a lot of crazy mm-hmm. people oh, yeah. and a lot of kooks and weirdos. But um, it all. There are also people who have a very mature way of looking at it and just use it. And I think that's the best use of any kind of spiritual pursuit, whether it's an organized religion or something more esoteric, is to use it in a sober way to improve your own way of being and others, but that's it. So you can't foist your beliefs on anybody else. Mm-mm. Yeah, fundamentalists yes, exist across. In case you hadn't heard that yet. As, as you say, like kooks and whatnot, it makes me think of fundamentalism where across the board in any given dogma or belief system, you have the people that are like, here's what the book says. Mm-hmm. So if any of people from your nation or the children of Abraham or whatever the derivation is, they're like, I have to kill you. Like, it's the more fundamental you become, the more insane and frankly evil you become. Where it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's a story from which we're supposed to glean, you know, taking care of people or some sort of, of goodness in humanity. Nowhere in a religious story where it suggests you you do harm to others does that mean that book is telling you to go out and harm people. Well, yeah, and I mean this just you know it just opens up a Pandora's box of you know taking these writings so literally or reading things into them that just simply aren't there, or you know saying thou shalt not kill and saying that abortion is wrong but capital punishment is fine mm-hmm. so you know it just gets we don't want to get into all that right now let's let's keep it on the let's let's keep it shirley mclean mm-hmm. okay that so and then that brings me to shirley mclean strangely enough saying her actual name smooth segue brings me to shirley mclean <laughs> speaking of shirley mclean yeah right. actually saying her name and talking about her makes me talk about her um because that was a really interesting thing back in the, I think it was the 80s or something that her her book about her pursuit of a spiritual or metaphysical life came out. It was a huge best-selling book. I mean, I probably still sells like hotcakes or the hotcake equivalent of a book that's been out for 30 years. But, you know, she took so much shit from that she took so much flack because you know there is always a yin and a yang and i don't care what religion you're in that's true and so people are you know people are very very threatened by this kind of subject matter people have a very it's it's still very provocative people have very violent sometimes reactions i mean if you say anything like other than that you're 
you know, following some organized religion that they approve of and don't think is weird or, or, uh, uh to them that it's something that they don't understand. So, mm-hmm. um, I just think that that's something to really think about because, uh, everybody's entitled to their own belief systems. And that's exactly what these are, their belief systems that people have chosen for themselves because they, they, they comfort them or they, they feel right. And, you know, when people like Shirley MacLaine get, when she was almost ruined by that, and then just more recently in the Democratic debate when Marianne Williamson talk about anything spiritual and, and everybody immediately after the very first debate, immediately all the late night talk show hosts and um, Saturday Night Live were parroting her and kind of really just making fun of her. And it's a little maddening because there's so many other things to focus on, not somebody who's being spiritual and who's talking about spiritual truths. I think then, then that kind of, it's, it's, it's a little inflammatory because look at who is in the White House. And I mean, he, what would you rather have? Somebody who's a little too spiritual, who's talking about the importance of love or what we've got right now. Sure. The, the thing about organized religion is that it's formed the basis for society. Like whole communities have been founded on these value systems that are, and so a lot of, for lack of a better term, the, the, the flock, the sheep of the flock, which I don't mean disparagingly, I just mean the, the, the majority of the population that are willing to receive their instruction and just go about their lives without having to question the belief system that formed the city of Boston or the, you know, the city of Marrakesh or whatever it may be. So that when those are challenged, when those ideas are challenged by someone saying, hey, let's look at this universal truth that remotely threatens the ideology you grew up with, frankly, and sometimes it's immediately dark. It's like they're suggest, you know, they're suggesting that you love people of other colors or races or sexuality, other, you know, other, in quotes. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are, it's, it flips a religion switch where it's like, nope, nope. I heard, I remember this from Sunday school. You know, we don't want infidels and we don't want people of this, this, and this type. And they get up and walk out. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's fear-based because we went to all the trouble for centuries to make our people safe. And we have a whole society based on it. So don't come in here and suggest that we change the way we've been thinking because that would be unsafe. You know, that that's dangerous. Yeah, the status quo. Is Somebody might put turmeric on my meal. fight to... to resist change yeah. on almost every level. You know, when I was in my 20s and I was living, or my early 20s, I was living in Chicago, I was very uh, taken with the I Ching, which is, people pronounce it I Ching, but it's actually pronounced I Ching, um, which is a I'm Chinese- it might be I Ching. Okay. Go ahead. Chinese book of wisdom, and that also happens to be an oracle. So way older than the Bible. Way older than the Bible, mm-hmm. exactly. And um, it's a it's a book you can buy, 
and uh, you can read it or and you can also take three coins and toss them and whichever way they land will tell you uh, you can ask you know a question since it's an oracle as well and whichever way the coins land it'll tell you where you need to look in the book for your answer right now the tricky part is interpreting <laughs> what you get because it's not always easy to interpret it especially if you're foisting your own desperate hopes and dreams upon the whichever this yeah. is applicable to pretty much anything including yeah. like you know I mean it's it's this is not just limited to um, metaphysical oracles uh, it's all about how you know what degree that's why meditation is helpful because you want to get yourself to a place where you can be clear you can listen to your inner inner voice and listen you know be open to receiving signs and i mean this is just fat i mean this isn't even if you think this is crazy then i don't know no it's it's not because things are you're putting it happening well. all the time it's just you just need to be able to be open enough to to realize it and see them and think well that's nice I'll, I'll take that in but anyway when i was very interested in the I Ching, um i was in a bookstore that was like it was like a metaphysical bookstore and um in chicago and this man started uh, this man started talking to me and he was like oh do, how much do you know about the I Ching? and I think I was buying a, a book about the I Ching, not, I already had the actual book. I was buying something about, you know, you know, how to interpret it or whatever. And he's, I said, well, not too much, uh, but I'm interested in it. And he said, well, I, I'm a, an authority on it and I would like to teach you. I would like to be your teacher. I don't know why I ever said yes to this guy, but I did. And so I would go to his house and he had a room that had an altar in it um just a room you know just an altar in this room and um he gave me lessons and then at the end when i like graduated i had to sit in meditation in this room for a couple of hours and etc and so i i thought well you know this is really nice i'm getting this instruction from this guy he really did know a lot about the aging and then toward the very end of our time together well this ended this ended our time together um i had mm -hmm. met and started dating someone and suddenly this guy's name was pedro suddenly pedro uh informed me by grabbing me and putting me in a lip lock that he mm. had oh. other, other motives mm. so you know it's a little shattering at the same time i learned a lot about the aging <laughs> You know, and you think, well, he was just, you know, this was a whole big thing to, like, um, get to the point where he could force his tongue down my throat. And yet, I also learned about the aging. So, right. I don't know. Hopefully, that won't happen to you, dear listener. It's kind of like you pursue teachings about the aging. You, you put that succinctly, um, because really, uh, the religious teachings, especially, you know... Um, long-established uh, religious texts, aren't they, one way or another, they're sort of uh, a much more artfully done 
magic eight ball. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's here's how you and it's as you yeah. Like said, I don't understand why a a book like you take two different books. Take mm-hmm. um, the Bible. How about the aging? Since we're already on that okay, subject, why would one be considered flaky and one be considered right. like the doctrine, the be all end all? Right. If you don't do this, you're out. It's well, just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, I mean, I think if it's because of the time we live in, like people are like, what's the aging? I mean, we don't live in ancient China. This mm-hmm. is, the Bible seems to be a little more popular these days than the aging, so that's part of it. In this neighborhood, you can't you can't judge, you can't turn up your nose at what other people might respond to or feel no. is right for them. It's arguably all a set of instructions, and whenever this subject comes up, I am reminded of how the Mormon Church, uh, the Latter Day Saints, was created by Joseph Smith who was a, a convicted mountebank. Like he had been mm-hmm. in jail <laughs> for pulling pulling one over on people. Specifically, he would walk around your property with a rock in his hat and the rock would tell him where there was water on your land. I kind of love that. People would pay him for this. And, <laughs> and so, you know, of course, he's, he's a snake oil salesman and, uh, and so he would be run out of different states and areas. And finally, it occurred to him to... Say it was a religion. Well, yes. And I mean, you know, according to to their doctrine, he was... God got a hold of him and showed him where to dig up these tablets in America, mm. in upstate New York. Right. These ancient <laughs> Christian tablets. And, I'm, and I don't even mean to laugh because, like, I... I think that religion is owed as much respect as any, but but from a point of view of science and logic, it it doesn't hold up in any other way except through faith, through like okay, this made up story um, is and a, they're all made up. It, yeah, it's a set of instructions. It's it's a through uh, navi- for navigating life, and people. The timing was right and his charisma was right that a lot of people were like, thank God you've arrived. We needed someone to lead us ultimately to Utah, it turns out, where, you know, we can practice this together. There's a lot of incredible racism involved, you know, like as with all religions, there were terrible human attributes involved. But by and large, uh, you know, most simple people in which I include myself, just need, are looking for guidance. Tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Tell me how to be decent. You know, give me a set of rules so that I can get through life without killing my neighbor or, you know, ripping off somebody. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I said they're all made up, then I, my mind started racing as I was attentively listening to everything you said. Um, (laughs) You know, because they're, may very well have been a man named Jesus. There very, very well may have been a Buddha. Um, but I think that then other people, and they might, and I'm sure they were great. Both of those guys, I'm sure they were great, amazing guys and did great things. Um, but then other people come in and start turning it into doctrine and saying it's this way or the highway and 
that's it. And, and there's no other option. And that's where the problems start, I think. Sure. You, people quickly realize that you can use religion as politics. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you can use religion to get a girl to come to yeah. study the eating in your house. Or, or your name People is use... Jim and Tammy Baker or Joel Osteen, and you can use religion to get rich. But, I mean, I, I will openly uh, talk about Joel Osteen because I've watched this guy on you know, TV. And I don't really know. Who is Joel Osteen? He's one of these Hollywood preachers on TV who mm. has three Cessna jets. Like, he, he's a multi-millionaire TV preacher mm -hmm. with a huge mega church, I think, in the Dallas area. Oh, I think you've shown me some video of him. And he, he, go, he goes on TV and, and basically, you know, poor people, people who, who are desperate, people who are in need, he goes, they watch him on TV amazingly, and he says, listen to me. So, you know, Jim Thompson... His kids uh, are in the hospital. He's going to lose his house. He prayed. He sent me $20, and he prayed, and he won the lottery. Do you know what happened? He won the lottery. Mm. Like he, uh, that's, that's paraphrasing, mm. but that's basically his shtick is mm -hmm. like, you send me money, you're going to win the lottery. Mm. Mm. Praise Jesus. Let's all sing a song. Yeah. And to, you know... But seriously, if you guys do send uh, twenty dollars to uh, inbedwithnickandmegan.com, you will win the lottery. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But that's but we don't but purport to be a religion. No. We it's just a know podcast. we know people at the lottery. Yeah. Um, but that you know that's what that's the part of organized religion that is really upsetting because. The majority of people are like my mom and dad, people who are like, give me a set of rules by which I can serve my fellow men and women. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's uh, heartbreaking to see people being taken advantage of with that as the bait. And you talked about your parents before, but I just want to add a little sunshine, a little more sunshine to that, which is that... Um, you know, I I love the fact, I didn't even realize until sometime relatively recently that as long as I've known your parents, I would never have actually known what religious, what their religious beliefs are yeah. because they do sort of live it and mm -hmm. they don't ever foist, they don't have any visible signs. They don't have, you know, a crucifix hanging there. You know, it's it's a different approach, and I think it's the the, I think it's a the the best approach if you are going to ascribe to whatever spiritual beliefs you ascribe to. I mean, I think that's the way to do it. You know, you just walk the walk, talk the talk, but you're not, you know, rubbing people's noses in it. I, absolutely, they they uh, let their actions speak for them. Mm -hmm. You let your actions speak for you, too. Actions hey. singular. Hey. Um, Check this out. Says Steph. And then Stephanie is really, I call her the human Xanax. I've said that before, and I'll say it again. I call her the human Xanax. Mm. But um, you really are such a, and Nick has that quality, too. You're such a calming influence it's almost i think it's impossible to be get worked into a frenzy when stephanie is around that's why we don't hang out with carrot top 
<laughs> yeah, he's a little more amped up. Yeah, yeah, he's just a lot intense. <laughs> it's a tall order. But stuff. so I often see you reading books mm -hmm. around this topic, mm -hmm. and I often see you meditating, and I often see you doing other things that, but you're never, you're, you're so, you're not loud about it. Um, but I love your commitment to, to it. Thanks, Meg. I, I feel like if I feel good, and grounded, then anything's cool mm -hmm. that happens that day. It's it's interesting to me that you, I've never heard that before, that you had rebelled against that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that because oh, wow. I thought you were just that way from the mm -mm. switch. Mm -mm. It was just Backstreet Boys in sync, <laughs> whatever your little... So if you're listening is. to this and you're young and you like popular music, <laughs> there is still hope for there you. There is still hope. I was always looking for that kind of stuff. I was always looking for spiritually oriented things and um but i at, at first you know when i was really little it was elves and fairies or ghost stories or um you know ray bradbury novels i mean it, mm. <laughs> it it wasn't i didn't know about other things because i grew up in oklahoma city and people there were no tarot card decks in the entire state of oklahoma i think it's pretty safe to say there were no astrologers running around. You there know, might have I mean, been one at Reba's house. <laughs> uh, but none of that was really a, a thing. And so I had to learn, as I, as I got a little older, I started hearing about the occult. Well, occult, of course, is that's bad because that sounds like witchcraft or something. But occult is also another way of talking about metaphysics. Sure. And so I started like seeing things here and there, like at a bookstore, like, what's that? And it was just immediately all over it, like a wet rag. Well, the, I mean, that's a good, you bring up a good point. The, the term occult make, makes me think of the devil. Dark, and, the dark uh, arts. Yeah, yeah pagan, it, it can pagans. be that. Yeah, it can be that. And that's not what I'm talking about. Well, and I'm not drawn to that. But but the thing is that the reason I think we're taught that that has a bad yeah, connotation. It can be very good. Yeah, it's simply because it's rooted in partly in pagan religions that are based on Gaia and, yeah. mother, and mother Earth. There are and, a lot of pagans now. It's a that's having a resurgence. Mm -hmm. And it frankly it it that's makes more a in lot touch more with sense the Earth. because it's yeah. based on the seasons and mm -hmm. fertility, the cycles of the moon, etc. Yeah. Which is why we focus our sexual uh, relationship on the solstice. Exactly. And we're sneaking up. Yeah. The moon is uh, waxing right now. That means we have to have sex um, eight times a day. When I hear Neil Young's... When it's waning at 16 yeah. times a day. So Your commitment is... I don't entire. have a lot of free time, is I guess the bottom line. We can't play Neil Young's Harvest Moon around the house or I start lactating. God. Just fucking weird. No, Nick. Not lacked. Producing milk? Do I have the wrong is that the wrong word? Uh but yeah, so people are milk. going down that road. Um I think for me the if you wanna 
boil it down to its essence for me what i'm what i the the state that i'm trying to get into and stay in is when you are um in touch with uh if you want to ever call it the universe the uh, higher power when things seem to be clicking in your mm -hmm. life um like you think about somebody you haven't thought of in god only knows how long and the next day they text you mm. things like that when you think well i must be on the right track because there's so much synchronicity that's like locked in right now and everything seems to be i seem to be getting a lot of confirmation that I'm in a good place because things are f falling into place in a way that s feels right mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I'm always trying I'm trying to get into that place and stay there me too and so when you're off because recently I've been going through a lot of stuff and I've been very off and it's a terrible feeling and um, I've still managed to kind of stay in there a little bit, but you know, when something happens, when uh, things that you perceive as negative happen, um, and you start coming from a place of fear, that's when you know you feel like you're in a bad period of your life because you don't have that comforting sense of like, oh, everything's you know just falling together so perfectly no matter what I do I turn a corner and there's the exact thing that I was hoping would be there um you know you're it, it's harder to manifest good things or feel like you're in sync with the universe when you're dwelling in fear and anxiety and insecurity and um just wrong wrong thinking you know, you want to try to stay in a positive frame of mind where you're feeling good about yourself and then you can, you know, treat yourself well and then you can treat other people well. What's your bottom line, Stephanie? Um, I was going to say it's, it's important to have compassion for whatever thing that you're going through for yourself. I feel like self-love is often disregarded and uh, not thought of as service or as as important or it can seem like, like it can seem people think selfish. it's selfish mm -hmm. yeah mm. right but it's kind of the the bottom line is if you can give love and compassion and listening and patience to yourself and not judge yourself for whatever because life is so unpredictable so these things happen to us and we can get in cycles that can be what we would per be perceived as seeing as negative, um, but that's when you have to have even more compassion right. and space for yourself. Because there are going to be times you're, you're going to have you know times that aren't fun in your life, and you have to be ready to accept that and not, not go off the deep end. Yeah, I feel like being your own best friend. It sounds very simplistic, but if you can really um, give yourself that space to do whatever you want or what you need um, first before, you know, whatever else you have to do, then everything just kind of clicks into space or at least you have an awareness of what you're feeling rather than disregarding it or pushing it away mm -hmm. in any of those senses. 
I, I at least have gotten to the point in life where when, you know, quote unquote, bad things happen, um, I can at least have a little bit of remove from it and think, well, this is happening right now. Why is it happening? Like, what am I, what's my part in it? What am I doing to create this or draw this to me? Um, and that's really helpful. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I think in the past I felt like I was just caught up in the, caught up in it and I was powerless. But now I, I definitely feel like I have, I can look at it and even find the humor in it. Um, and then down the road when, you know, the clouds lift, um, then you've, you've learned more, I think. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Nick? Like you, you definitely, I think you, you are your own best friend. I think I can say that with certainty. Mm. Sure. I mean, you're very good at- We get along. (laughs) (laughs) But you're really good at uh, protecting yourself. You don't put yourself into situations. You don't allow situations to evolve where you're caught up in a tempest. No, that's true. Uh, I mean, just generally, and I, I'm, I'm sort of having a swirling, uh, a maelstrom of, of this episode is swirling around in my head that I'm going to try and encapsulate for you. Uh, the For me, it is such a hot topic, uh, such a, it is such a hot button subject matter, religion, spirituality. And they are interconnected, you know, they're inextricably dovetailed together. Um, uh, and, and, uh, earlier in the podcast, you accused me of being simple. And I, <laughs> and I think that's my secret. Mm-hmm. It is. is you is, have a real simplicity about your nature. Anything, yeah, anything that is not required. It's why I'm ignorant in so many ways. It's why I miss so much popular culture, because I was like, Okay, don't have time for this twelve years to watch uh, sitcoms or see what's on the radio because I'm like obsessed with doing theater or whatever my my thing is. And just in general, if something requires my attention in life, if it requires me to weigh in in some way, then I try to do so in a considered way. But if it doesn't require me, that I happily let it flow by, um, and I and I just—it's something I have really strong feelings about. So I talk about it a lot, and that's why I want to sort of wrap up mine by saying uh, I think religion is wonderful when when used properly. I think the whole point of it um, is uh, is benevolent, like the initial idea of it. But if I just um, was listening to this great uh, episode of This American Life, which is a podcast that I can't believe is less popular than ours. Um, I know. But it is quite quite good. Um, yeah. Let's if, give them a plug. Yeah. It's a, you this guys should American check it out. This American Life. This up-and-comer named Ira yeah. Glass. Uh, yeah. And it, this episode is called The Weight of Words. And one of the Glass, sto- like what windows are made of. Yeah, Ira Glass. Uh, one of the stories is about a woman who uh, ends up in a family in Pakistan and is being raised in a very religious way and being made 
to live in a way that's incredibly misogynist, you know, by these rules where she has to cover herself if she goes out of the house. Uh, when meals are served, she has to ser- make sure her brothers get food before she does. It's all uh, very demeaning um, and cruel to women. So, so while I feel like all religions have their hearts in the right place, some of them have things that are wrong about them. And as we all are learning together about human goodness, if your religion has stuff like that, that you feel is obviously wrong, you can still use that religion to be a good person, but you don't have to be a fundamentalist and say, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, I guess if I want to pray to this creator, then I need to punch women. Like, you, you can pray to the creator without being a jerk. Mm-hmm. And I just, so I'm, I'm accepting and approving of both religion and spirituality. Like, we all are in this together and whatever anybody chooses to believe, you get to. You get to pick whatever you want um, because it's all allowed. And no belief system is wrong because it's only up to you and your imagination and your faith and what you do with it. Uh, but when you, get, when you boil it all down, I think all it all comes down to is, are you doing a good job as a citizen of, the, of your place? Are you servicing the people around you? Are you helping or are you hindering? Are you adding to the world or are you destroying? Mm -hmm. And whatever my religion or spirituality is, I, I try to use it to help me lead, lead myself to make things more than I destroy things. Mm. Oh, that's great, honey. Like making orgasms in your uh-oh. With these two hands right I'm here. Having one right now. The hands of the Lord. After what you just said. <laughs> our apologies to Stephanie for this moment mm, of intimacy. A little weird. And to our dog, Clover, who Check happens to be laying out. on the bed. Life's mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie, do you have a final summary? I'd say my closing statements are um, that I sincerely have a hope that we can all, uh, myself included, um, have mystery be a virtue in our lives. Mm. Because I think so often we want to know, and I know that about myself too, um, wanting the answer to everything is sort of intrinsically human for whatever time period we're in right now of consciousness, and I think allowing mystery to have a part in your life allows um, new insights and new points of view and acceptance, and um, I, I think could bring us to greater heights of and by, knowing. by mystery, do you mean being open to the unknown and to change and to what Nick referred to earlier as the other? Yeah, to the other, to whatever is not what you know. Mm-hmm. The, the thought, I don't know, and being comfortable with, I don't know, which even in our everyday lives is hard. We have this idea, you go to college, you get a job, you get married, you know, those are still patterns, even outside of religion, that we hold on to, or this happens and then this happens. And that can be very comforting, but uh, 
my challenge to myself and to others is to be able to embrace not knowing comfortably. And embrace each moment as it happens rather than thinking, well, this is just filler until the good stuff starts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or until I get to put my agenda on what I'm trying to do, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is where good creativity comes from and new ideas for the future come from the space of the unknown. And it's imp- I, I, I really would like our society to be able to be more comfortable with that. Yeah. And myself. Human Xanax. Well, I fall somewhere in between these two points of view, and I agree 100% with Objection. What, Move to strike you. from the record. What? <laughs> no. It's got weird. Just because I'm boiling you down tonight doesn't mean you can <laughs> strike me from the record. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I agree with what both of these beautiful humans are have said and are saying. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's all a work in progress. I mean, as long as we're taking breath, uh, we're, we hopefully are always trying to evolve in a positive way and grow and um, be nicer to ourselves and to other people. And um, yeah, so exhibiting kindness in both of those areas to ourselves, like you're talking about self-love and to others, which Nick also talked about, um, that's the goal. And um, live and let live, right? Well, this has been... I'm sorry, I thought of one more thing I'd like to throw in. Yes, please. Because when you think about spirituality, and it's it's, uh, fitting that that it it only occurred to me as an afterthought, we as humanity are so egotistical that we have considered ourselves for decades or perhaps even centuries above the other parts of the natural world that we depend on completely. Right. Yeah, it's insanity what we're doing to the planet. And, mm-hmm. and and we and we still think that we can human ourselves out of the problem. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh well we'll just invent better shit. Mm-hmm. Oh we we're, we're destroying our resources, you know, climate change we've caused, all this stuff is happening. Well if if we if we can get computers good enough it'll <laughs> That'll solve the problem. We'll make robots that'll fix it all for us. And that's, uh, to me, that's an um, uh, an inseparable part of spirituality that we maintain an understanding with the entire, our place within the entire creation uh, upon which we live. And for most people, that's probably, you know, it doesn't mean, if you live in a city, it doesn't mean like, you have to suddenly become a farmer or all, all you need is an awareness that what we do, especially from a, with, this, with this metabolism of rural produce feeding the urban centers, understand that that has a profound effect on our land and our soil mm-hmm. and its fecundity. And, and we have been ruining, ruining it. We've been shitting the bed massively and i think the most important way to fix it as quickly as possible is the way we vote it's by who we vote for and how they respect our farmers Mm -hmm. and our agriculture which means the opposite of corporate uh, industrial food 
Mm-hmm. It's getting back to true spirituality, people who are maintaining the fidelity of pieces of land, of herds of animals, of watersheds, you know, of bodies of water. Those are the people, they are the shepherds of the creation. And so if we have any spirituality that's that has any truth to it, we need to be, it's, 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 it's like not paying your teachers, your school teachers en- enough. If you don't pay the farmers, the people who provide our food, uh, the same amount of respect and allow them to make a living, we're literally cutting off our, our we're cutting off our nose to, nose spite, our to spite our faces. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I know Stephanie does too, and mm-hmm. I would just add to that that I think when people are coming from a pure place in their spiritual lives or their slash or their religious practices, um, then this automatically is the case. We automatically are going to be doing the right thing for the planet and taking care of, uh, you know, because it is such it's the biggest folly you could ever imagine that we're destroying we're destroying ourselves the planet is going to fail and we're all going to die yeah so unless we start sincerely addressing that and taking action um that's what's going to happen and so i think you know if if you are coming from a a genuine pure place without an agenda in your spiritual life, then those kinds of things will start to take care of themselves. And we won't have all this ridiculous sturm and drawing and, you know, politicians and people who could help implement these things dragging their feet and literally doing nothing. So this has been Mm. a very, very special episode of... In Bed with Nick and Megan, the world's most beloved podcast. And it does, of course, star the frantically appealing Mr. Nick Offerman. You're too kind. It features the featured player, Megan Mullally. Splendid. And we have our sidekick, greatest guest in the world, Stephanie Hunt. (laughs) Thank you again so much. Um, we're all going to meditate now, uh, right before I start my cult and boil Nick down. Thank Good you. night. Thank you everyone for everything. Peace and Shorter. namaste. Shorter. Okay. <laughs> In Bed with Nick and Megan is an Earwolf production. It's produced by Megan Mullally, Kevin Bartelt, and Michael Landry. Executive produced by Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon. Music by Nancy and Beth, which can be found at www.nancyandbeth.com. If you enjoyed In Bed with Nick and Megan, make sure to rate it and review the show on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sleep Number. Nick. Yeah. Think about all of the things that happen in our bed outside of the intense and very frequent lovemaking. Okay, I'm thinking about there's there's 17 of them. Mm-hmm. 
We eat in bed. Mm-hmm. We even cook our food in the bed. Right. We have a little hot plate right next to our sleep number yep. bed. I don't recommend that. Don't no. try that at home. I have a rect- Full disclosure, I have a rectangle of tin that I place it upon to uh, reduce the <laughs> risk of fire. Oh, we're... Um, all right, but all of the other things we have... Et cetera. We have uh, intense conversation. Mm-hmm. We write we're, novels. That's right. We have, we have a small uh, table tennis table, we, and we play ping we, pong. We breed our dogs. We do a lot in our bed. It's an important... I guess what, I, what we're trying to say is that it's an important locus for us, but I think for everyone... It's it's where a lot of really important and nice things can happen. Sure, and and for a couple as busy as us, also just sleeping um, in our bed is pretty darn important. Important. I mean, what's your minimum out number of hours for sleep of sleep to where if you don't get that many, you don't feel cute? Um, I feel like my day. Uh, sucks if I don't get at least six minimum, but I prefer seven or eight. Yeah, you're supposed to get between seven and nine, or seven or more. Seven's the the cutoff, though. Um, and I agree with that. And I feel like ever since we got our sleep number bed, we've been sleeping better and longer hours. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that's definitely fair. And they have proven, though, that sleep strengthens your immunity. How about that? Yeah. No, it's not. It's ridiculous. Like, everybody we know, especially as we have passed the age of 35, mm. everybody, like, the, the benefits of good sleep uh, are innumerable. Uh, you can focus better. You can think better. Yeah. And uh, you're just healthier and I think maybe in a better mood. I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not cute when I haven't had sleep. No, I, I would assert that good sleep improves your physical health. Well, you look better, though, too. You look better. It improves your physical health and your emotional well-being, but it also ups your physical well-being and your emotional health. Yeah, but I like just, I mean, you know that being home in my pajamas is my favorite thing to do. Like, I stay in bed, like, most of the day when I have a day off. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying, again, maybe don't try that at home either, but I love it. So it's just so nice to have a nice, comfy bed that supports my laziness. No question. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Quit shaming me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think what we're, tr- we're trying to insinuate to our listeners is you can come in now to a Sleep Number store and save up to $400 on select Sleep Number 360 smart beds for proven quality sleep for a limited time only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com slash in bed. Nick's gotten a part-time job at a sleep number store, so we're not going to tell you which one, but if you go in, you might see him there. I'm very good with the pillows. <laughs>